Hello, Ali. Hi, Fernando. How are you? I'm good. What about you, man? Good, How are good. you? Everything's well. How Thank you. Everything? Good, good. Alhamdulillah. How's Aden? Uh, oh, it's, it's very cool, uh, friend. Uh, things yeah, get better since the the fuel crisis just came to end. I um, filled my car up this uh, today, and I feel happy today. Really, <laughs> you can move. You're free. <laughs> yeah. The freedom to move. Yes, yes. I was free. <laughs> good, good, good. No, thank you again. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Uh, we are now moving on into our first month since we launched Diwan Podcast. Really exciting stuff. Uh, we've had some great, excellent uh, guests, some great conversations. And a lot has been going on in, in Yemen uh, this month alone. So we, we're trying to catch up, we're trying to keep you updated. And we want to thank all our listeners, all our viewers. Don't forget, we are on five platforms for our podcast. We are on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. And we are now on Facebook. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Ali, myself, and Duan Podcast. All of these links, all of these accounts, you can see at the beginning and at the end of, the, of each episode. So Ali, uh, without further ado... Uh, let's jump into the news roundup. Uh, right now, we are recording a little bit after President Biden was sworn in. So a lot has been going on. What 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 are your news? What are your your spotlights at, from this week? Uh, from here, uh, Fernando from Adan, what uh, <clears throat> is going on? The, the assassination of. Uh, one of uh, the elite forces in Shibwa, a soldier from the uh, elite forces in Shibwa, from Nukba Shibwania. Uh, as you followed, um, the brave soldier was assassinated in a public market um, just the day before. And this was like something like horrible. And everybody is talking about that. Everybody is, I mean, a, a, a large scale outcry here in Aden and often all over the, the, the southern provinces. Everybody is trying to find someone to blame for, but unfortunately, such people go uh, with, uh, I mean, uh, for nothing. We don't know what's going on there. And uh, because, as you know, this soldier was assassinated uh, in a place just near uh, to um, a choke point of the security forces. And this was like, giving too much talk why and uh, <clears throat> how this soldier was assassinated by people riding a car passing through many checkpoints. What area in specific, what, what area specifically was he assassinated? Uh, uh, the soldier is uh, Zakaria Al-Afal Ba'uba. <clears throat> he heals from the Ba'uba prominent uh, tribe in Shabwa, this, this tribe is widely recognized and known for its brave people. They, uh, I mean, they have been engaging hard in protecting the, 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 the coastlines in Shabwa and so on. Uh, this uh, soldier is from Maifa, from uh, 
Mayfair District, uh, Southern Chihuahua, and he uh, have been serving in the elite forces since this uh, troops were established by the Arab Coalition in uh, 2016. Right, right, right. And then uh, we also have the SDC rejecting uh, Hadi, the, the yeah. impact. Yeah, yeah. This was also uh, also one of, I mean, the ultimate news here in Aden. Um, uh, it has been occupying the social media, as you have followed, Fernando. Everybody is talking about. Uh, it seems like a, a new a new start for a new dispute between. Or a new standoff between the STC and Hadi, because the STC repeatedly two statements were issued by the, the STC spokesperson in the same week, threatening that such decrees, such uh, uh, decisions will not be, uh, I mean, accepted. Right. And, and, and the go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you have seen Master Hadi just. Uh, carried on with his decisions and went to uh, swear in those people, the, the, the speaker of the Shura Council and the, uh, general, the attorney general and the other people who just named uh, in the last uh, week. And this it seems like uh, the, 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 the snowball is getting bigger back again. Right. Yeah, and interesting that you know it's been almost a week and uh, a few uh, a few days since this this whole thing happened. The statements came out a, a few days ago, and again, like we discussed with uh, Khalid Al Yamani in our first episode, you know th these kind of uh, incidents um, are a real test for the SDC leadership, right? Uh, being less than a month since the government arrived in Aden, it's really testing. Yeah. It's really testing yes. the, the STC and their reactions. You know, so far it's been moderate. It's just statements and, and, and talk. We don't yet see big troop movements or any escalation no, no. on the ground. Yeah. But it seems yeah. like what, what we discussed with Mr. Yamani that perhaps the STC leadership has moved on into that, you know, diplomatic uh, yes. situation where, where, where now they're taking a little bit slower. You know, we don't see Aydaru's yeah. moving too much. We don't see Hani Ben Break no, no. making too many harsh movements. <laughs> no, I think now they are uh, realizing on the, the, the diplomatic efforts more than the, the military one. They are training. They, they are showing that they are um, uh, depending on solving all the problems through diplomatic uh, tools rather than military tools. Uh, right. This is, uh, yeah. Right. Definitely. Definitely. And for me, for me, I, I just want to highlight some of the things that we're going to be discussing today with our two guests. You know, one of them is yeah. the video that we saw this week of uh, Houthi leader Abdul Malik Al Houthi, uh, a very casual, interesting video. You know, it wasn't a speech like usual that we see from him, but it was a very casual uh, video of him speaking from, from a Diwan, from a Mufraj, you know, uh, where, he yeah, was, yeah, yeah. where he was talking about the issue of corruption and the supervisors, the Mushrafeen, uh, that 
people have been complaining about or, or, or more and more people are highlighting as being a big part of the problem within their administration. So that was interesting. We'll, we'll talk to one of our uh, guests about this, uh, Nasser Rabi, who is joining us, who will join us from Sanaa. And then we will touch on uh, the FTO listing of the Houthis, of Ansar Allah, actually, uh, that, that, that came into effect in, on 19 January. And uh, we'll probably be at around, this episode will probably be at about a month since, since the listing came into effect. And we'll discuss the impact uh, of this decision by the previous U.S. administration, the, the Trump administration. Uh, we, we've seen a lot of debate around this listing, uh, you know, on the positive side and on the negative side. Uh, as well, we will uh, discuss, touch on the, the Biden administration, the swearing-in of President Biden a, couple of, a few days ago this week, and the expectations, the hopes, you know, that, that he may bring. Uh, I've published a couple of articles about this, discussing, you know, being optimistic about the new administration. Uh, some of the things that that we've discussed with other guests like Akhala Yamani and, and on the side on Twitter or social media is that we expect the pressure from within the Democratic Party in Congress, within among the Democrats, more to the left, on President Biden to extract the US from the war, to pull back. You, you, you know, to to stop, to slow, to suspend the support to the coalition, and mainly we're talking about Saudi Arabia with weapon sales, with oversight, and uh, a lot of people in the House of Representatives, more so than in the Senate. But there's still, you know, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders who who opposes the war. Uh, we haven't seen it yet, but it's expected that the pressure will start mounting on President Biden as, you know, the second week that he's in office, that they will start moving in the House. You know, there's a handful of representatives that, that really want to move on this quickly. And we'll see how the president, you know, reacts and how Saudi Arabia reacts. We still haven't heard uh, of any Saudi officials uh, wanting to visit D.C. We already know Saudi foreign minister congratulated the president, but we haven't gone there yet. Uh, we have the, the, the calls are growing for President Biden to suspend the FTO listing as well, uh, which is something that we've looked at. And I've said that it's more likely that the president will amend the language, will amend the listing in order to facilitate commerce and facilitate the delivery of, you, you know, humanitarian assistance. You know, you had a question earlier about how this this could affect uh, business and the delivery. It all depends on the wording. You, you, you know, yeah. I think I think that the listing of Ansar Allah is very loose, you know, because as we've discussed in our first interview, in our first episode, there is no such thing, no concrete thing called Ansar Allah. There is no institution. There is no hierarchy. So the listing of Abdul Malik and Abu Ali al-Hakam, you know, the head of intelligence, of military intelligence, could be more impactful than the actual listing of a group called Ansar Allah. Because then 
under Abdul Malik al-Husi, then anyone that claims that he's their leader would be affected by this, you know, because of the upward hierarchy with the business and, and everything. And, and, and this would definitely affect the executive committee and so on. This would definitely affect Scansha, the new organization taking care of the, the humanitarian response. And then with Abu Ali, uh, we have the issue of the militias where Abu Ali has been traditionally, you know, a, a, a leader of the militias, either fighting the government on the ground or, you know, that structure that takes care of the supervisors that are in every institution, every, every province. Uh, he then, you know, would report higher up. So I think this will be interesting and we'll definitely keep track of this. We'll see how how we how we we can uh, further uh, analyze this and the impact that it has on on the general population. Uh, we are now just waiting a few. Uh, I don't know if you have something else to to mention to discuss, Ali, while we wait for Nasser. Yes. Also, uh, uh, Fernando, you know. Um the last couple of days, I have been just reading and following news and receiving some like calls from friends and colleagues from Sanaa and from the, the Houthi Hill areas in northern Yemen. Everybody is saying that some like uh, the, the Houthi authorities started like uh, carrying out random, random, I mean, campaigns, security campaigns over. Target, targeted shops, targeted also prevented journalists from doing their work. Uh, also, they have been uh, enforcing sex segregation at, at schools, in the university, in some uh, faculties there in Sana'a and in the, uh, the other uh, provinces in the northern Yemen. Um, I hope we can should should spot some light on this with the, our guests from there from the northern provinces that even pro uh, I mean uh, Nasser who is gonna join us today or in the next uh, uh, discussions. Uh, I want to spotlight on this because a lot of people people are feeling worried or feeling frustrated uh, since we have seen um, security forces attacking a shop and they say it because uh, I mean surfing the LGBT uh, people I don't know where they came from with this terminology or also I have uh, received some uh, I mean information from colleagues there journalists they they couldn't dare to go out and do their job anymore because um, they usually detain them and ask them and keep investigating them just because they are carrying their cameras and this is like I want to know what's the identity of the state that these people are fighting for is it a religious sectarian state how, how, how does it come since they were, I mean, partners in the national dialogue and they were saying or raising the, 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 the slogan that they are fighting for a civil state. If you are fighting for a civil state, right. how, 
how do you do you i mean prevent people from doing their work why you are afraid of journalists you know right. we have we have discussed uh, some people uh, among them filmmakers and they seem like frustrated and they very disappointed because they are not feeling safe to work anymore uh, right. also uh, also now sex segregation why why you you are trying to force uh, i mean students at schools or at the, in the university to be i mean like it's, it's similar to daesh and al right right this hasn't been done here uh, i mean uh, fernando I, right. I see right. Is, uh, right right we we we're gonna the, all of this stuff that you brought in we're gonna bring up we're gonna bring up with Nasser Ravi in a little bit. He seems to be having some internet problems. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're definitely going to jump into our interview with Ustad Munir Said uh, because he's ready. He's ready to go. Look at him, all comfortable and everything. He's ready to go. How are you, Ustad? Well, I'm fine. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Good one. Good one. Thank you. Good one. <laughs> We'll have a chat about I think, those. I think, I think, I think the young men needed some uh, bor borrowing. You know, that's right. That's right. Ustad, Ustad Munir, uh -huh. uh, allow me to introduce my good friend Ali Mahmoud in Aden. Hello, sir, Ali. I'm I'm so glad to join you today. Thank you very much. Me too. We are definitely glad that, that you accepted our, our invitation. Uh, take a little bit of your time to come to come on here and uh, share some of your thoughts. I'm pretty sure many of our audiences in Yemen know of you. Uh, but uh, just to introduce a little bit uh, about you, uh, you've been a consultant. You're a businessman. Uh, you've been a consultant in, in, from Sana'a very well connected politically in Sana'a, all over Yemen. And we met quite a few years ago during actually the, the Arab Spring, if you recall, in yes. 2011. Well, I was jumping, well, I was jumping around from Kachu to Kachu in Sana'a in 2011. Uh, yeah. Our good friend, Mohammed Al-Kubati, Dr. Mohammed Kubati was gracious enough to introduce us one day. And, and I've uh, taken advantage of our acquaintance since to uh, to to learn more and more about about Yemen, and uh, you were definitely one of the first persons I, I thought of to to invite here, and uh, I definitely thank you for accepting our invitation. Welcome, it's a pleasure. We this episode will definitely come out right after the ten year anniversary of the Arab Spring, so this is definitely something that we would like to start with you. Uh, discussing uh, your thoughts, uh, your your memories, and, and how you saw things back in in, in 2011. Hmm. Well, I mean, it 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 did start with a with a high tone uh, and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of optimism, optimism. And then, as uh, things uh, progressed, uh, things turned around, and uh, and uh, what we were hoping for, what we were expecting, uh, uh, did not did not happen immediately. Although I should say here, I don't think 
uh, we should lose hope, and I haven't lost hope, lost hope of it. But uh, but it didn't happen, and uh, there were the forces that were that were st uh, standing against it were too strong for the youth revolution, and of course, the youngsters had a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm but lacked a lot of uh, pragmatism. And uh, that did not help the cause. This is, this, so, is one of the, this is one of the things that I like to ask you, because we had discussed this in our episode about the RS Spring, you know, this hope or this pragmatism. What we discussed were the impact of the, of the youth-led revolution, the Arab Spring, the uprising, you know, however I would like to hear your definition of it. Uh, but it was the, the power structure, yeah, the power structure that the protesters had to deal with, and then how that that year, that those incidents, those events shifted or or realigned the, the power structure in, in Sana'a in Yemen. Period. Well, unfortunately, the youngsters did not were not part of the power structure when they should, in fact, have been. And this has been one of my criticism of the youth movement uh, when uh, when I, you, if you remember the agreement that was signed in real the, the youngest people that were in that room signing the agreement were muhammad basindu Saleh, and king abdullah of saudi arabia we didn't see anybody younger than that the youngsters were in change square agitating when in fact they should have been sitting in that place negotiating, participating, putting their voice and making sure that whatever they were demanding in the street is heard in the corridors of power and is included in the final agreement. The result of that agreement was that you had a, you had a government that was essentially uh, created by the same old guard, which brought Yemen to the past that it was there. We didn't see any youngsters represented in that government. And in fact, we had one of my, uh, I had a strong, a very strong discussion with an ambassador of one of the European Union ambassadors when I said that the, 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 uh, the so-called Gulf, the GCC initiative, or despite some positive elements was, in fact, uh, a lot of poison in that plate. And it's going to blow up in our faces in the future. Because you cannot have Ali Abdullah Saleh holding 50% of a government whose, uh, whose ultimate objective is to remove it. And we saw the result of that. The youth were, were, were absent completely from the whole process. They were there very much in the street. But in the process, in the government, that was, was the result of the uh, Yemeni Spring, let us call it. They were absent. They did not participate in the government. They did not participate in its creation. And that was the government that was actually making decisions, not the NDC. Right. The NDC did not make decisions of how the process would be managed. It was Abdurrahman Mansur Hadi. It was Muhammad Basindua. It was Ali Abdul Saleh. It was these 
forces that represented the old God who the youth revolted against. They were making the decisions. Ali, anything you want? Sadmanir, you are very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be with you today with my dearest friend, Fernando. I have some questions for you. I mean, as you you are one of those, I mean, you have like a great deal of experience in the biological side in Yemen and the youth revolution. What's the what's the major reason behind? I mean, the failure of the Arab separating in Yemen. And how 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 do you look for the future of the the youth revolution? Do you think it's still able to play like a main role in the future of Yemen? I. I don't think the Arab Spring, whether in Yemen or, or in other parts of the Arab world, has failed. It has faced a setback, a serious setback, but it has not failed. Uh, until, until people give up, then we can consider it to have failed. But the Arab Spring has faced a major setback because of the counter-revolutionary forces that are uh, rich and armed very well. I mean, the Arab Spring was turned into a civil war in the Arab world, and like in Yemen. Uh, the main reason for its failure is the counter-revolutionary forces who have in, spent billions against the Arab Spring when in fact they should have spent this money helping the Arab Spring reach a conclusion that they can coexist with. They, they took the zero option and complete it's either them or us. That's the way that the governments have decided. It's either the, Arab, the youth or us, but we cannot coexist. And that is a very dangerous reaction to the Arab Spring because remember, when you're a young man yourself, I think in your, when you guys created the whole revolution, you went in a peaceful process. You yeah. started, I remember, we could not enter Change Square with, uh, with anything in our pocket other than a pencil. Yes. We were searching to make sure that there were no weapons in our bodies. That is the extent to which the youngsters were determined to make the whole process peaceful. On the other side, the forces that stood against it used weapons, and we have seen that. My fear now to answer your question of where, where the Arab Spring is today, I think, unfortunately, tragically even, the Arab Spring, when it comes back, and it will come back, it will not be peaceful anymore. It will start... It, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Ibn Ayyad. It will restart yeah. very violently. Do you expect it to restart back again? It has not died. I mean, we just had change in Sudan. Everybody was saying the Arab Spring was dead, and then poop, here comes Sudan. We have agitation in North in North Africa, in in, on, in, in places like Algeria, right? The Arab Spring has not died. It has faced a setback. And 
the leadership, the, the youth leadership there to blame a lot for this because they were divided into two sides, people who stood aside and others who allowed themselves to be co-opted, to be uh, sucked in by the same old God that they revolted against. Right. They have now become part of that old God right. without naming names. But you see, a lot of them are today serving the old God who they were revolting against. And in the Arab Spring, they were, they were the vanguards of the revolution. Of the right, revolution. right. We, 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 saw, we saw that progression, right, from, 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 Tahrir, from, from Change Square to UN jobs. Somewhere else. To think tanks, to organizations being paid by, you know, the coalition or, or something like this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And this was, this is, I mean, partly I cannot blame these youngsters because people have to pay rent. And the Arab Spring has created a lot of joblessness. Well, it's created a lot of jobs, but in the security sector, right? I mean, this is the one thing that you talk about co-opting, where the unemployment, where the unemployment just ballooned between 2011 and 2013, the response in 2014 was simply to open up the military and security forces and try to incorporate these youth uh, into that so they could have a salary and no longer that grievance of unemployment. And then after the, the, the 2015 war, wherever it was, whatever area has been liberated has not created jobs but merely absorb a lot of these youth into new military or new security forces, you know? Um, yes, and you're probably talking more during the war in Yemen, where a lot yeah, of yeah, these yeah. youngsters were, right. were, were taken in as militias. But yeah. I was referring even from the, uh, from the elite among the youth, yeah. who were at the head forefront of the revolution, uh, intel uh, the intellectual contribution, the speeches, yeah. and the True. rest of it. True. A lot of them, a lot of them, unfortunately, have moved away from that agenda and become part of the old agenda. Unfortunately, many of them in a very corrupted way. This has this has had its this has taken its toll on the Arab Spring. It's one of the, I mean, uh, the forces that are that are stacked against the Arab Spring and against the youth revolution in the Arab world are very very powerful both uh, politically, economically, and also, unfortunately, military. And maybe uh, the setback will take some time, but let's not forget the revolutions that succeeded. The French Revolution took 100 years. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, and, and one of the things, you know, you mentioned a little while ago during, during your talk about the peaceful, peacefulness of, uh, of the Arab Spring, you know, I lived down the street from Change Square in 2011. The whole year. So I was walking back and forth. And it was interesting to note, you know, those shifts from February 4th to February 11th to March 21 to the summer, you know. So when, when it all started, you know, the periphery was basically maintained by youth, whether it was from a party or from the university. But these mm. kids, you know, 20-year-old, 18-year-olds, you know, were the ones checking you as you entered the area, you know, they would frisk you and everything. Then after March 21, when Firqa moved in with Ali Mohsen moved in to protect the change square, then you saw the military periphery, you know, all security forces armed, you know, taking care of this. But it was interesting to note how 
the youth move, the youth periphery moved behind Furqa soldiers, right? So the, the soldiers would check everyone, and then three, four feet later, the youth would check you. And, and yeah. this, was a, this was symbolic for the youth because they wanted to have control of that periphery. And yeah. every now and then you saw how Firka would go behind the youth and the youth would go behind. And once the periphery kind of got too close to the tents, you would then go back to the youth putting a new periphery farther ahead, you, you, you know, to force Furka to go further. And it was just interesting to see this dynamic and change where the fighting, yeah. you, you, you know, with the, the peaceful fighting between the armed, the armed forces, the security and the youth, you know. Um, right. Right. She, we uh, we also want to discuss with you a little bit more advanced what you think right now. Uh, it's almost going to be 30 days. It's a little bit over 30 days uh, since the new coalition government landed in Aden. Uh, what what do you expect? What uh, what are your expectations on this new new equation? I don't think there is a new equation. I think there are new faces, but the equation is the same. The people who are controlling the Yemen scenario is the same. They are from Abu Dhabi and they are from Riyadh. Those have not moved. Those have not changed. And unless those change their positions, those change, or, I, or they are themselves changed, then we can expect, hopefully, a new equation. But in Yemen, uh, to expect that there will be a new equation in Yemen is to assume that there are forces in Yemen, current forces which we see now, and we are particularly talking about the, the South because that's where the real problem is today. Uh, we are assuming that they have control of the South. They don't. None of them has. So what is the new question? Uh, and, and this is related to, to, to the origins of the war itself. I mean, the, I have said very early on that this war was started on a lie. It continues on the same lie. And even the efforts that are made, the so-called efforts to bring peace, are also based on the same lie. And that is why it has failed. It has, does not recognize the real reasons for this war. What do you think the is real a lie and what do you think war? is the real reason? Well, the real reasons for this war, to assume that the, word, the reason is what is being uh, publicized as... Uh, Ansarullah or Abdul Malik al-Houthi has taken the government from uh, Hadi or Sharia and these guys have come to re to recover that legitimacy uh, is very naive. The people have not spent hundreds of billions of dollars, have not killed 200,000 people or more, have not fought a war for six years so that they return Abdurrahman Mansur Hadi to someone. To believe that, I mean, uh, uh, is like believing in the unicorn. This war, the, we, I said this from day one, that this is a dangerous war and it's not going to, it is going to be destructive for Yemen and the people who have come, the Saudi coalition has not come for the purpose for which everybody is saying. They have their own agenda and we can see it today. We can see it in Sahotra, 
We can see it in Mahra. We can see it in the courts in Babel Mandal. That is the agenda. That's why the war is being fought. Now, the lie is that it is Sharia and, uh, and rebels. But the, the truth is that. Now, if you want to resolve the war, we have to identify the truth and work on the basis of why this war has actually been fought and then say, what do we do about it? Do we tell the Yemenis to accept the status quo that part of Mahra would be under Saudi UAE control because they want to encircle Oman? Because that's the agenda on that side. And, Ma and uh, Babel Mandab and Sokotra will be in the hands of uh, UAE. And now Sokotra also, the Israelis are already there. That will continue. We have to tell ourselves as Yemenis that that is the situation we must accept. And then we'll have the end of the war. Or we tell the guys who have come to, to accomplish these agendas, cancel your agendas and go back so that we can have peace. Right, right, right. Ali? Uh, um, I see that you are trying to uh, throw, I mean, uh, the blame over the coalition. My, my question is, don't you see that, I mean, uh, the, uh, the, the forces in the north, which are loyal to uh, the, the legitimate government, failed? to do their job there, uh, despite the, the, the big backup from the coalition, despite from, I mean, uh, all all uh, the help that offered by the coalition. Is it just the coalition have its own agenda or the, the I mean, people in the north? When you're talking about the north, you're talking about the government of Ali ibn from that time. So, what about what about the uh, I mean uh, the, the other the other uh, factions? Well, the problem started in the in the south and the north when the whole union was entered in in a very wrong way. That union was should have we should have had a referendum, and people should have actually sat down and done some research on how is the union. What happened is that even that union that we went in, the South went into the union because they saw it as a vehicle to undermine Ali ibn Salih, and Ali ibn Salih went into the union. He also saw it as the vehicle to undermine the South. And in fact, you know that Islah party was created for that purpose. Read Abdullah Ahmar's uh, book. He is very clear of why Islah Party was created. It was created to undermine the agreement that Ali ibn Salih signed with Ali Salim al-Biv because Ali ibn Salih could not undermine an agreement that he himself signed. So they created Islah Party to do that, that job. The, the whole intention was not uh, clear. So yes, there was a problem from that time. And I spoke about these issues in uh, December 2012, in a seminar in Sana'a, when I said that we, the Southerners, nobody here in the North, uh, Barakani was there in that seminar. I said, no, nobody here in the North should ever dare question our, uh, our, our feeling of unity. 
we have been raised from the time we were young. I remember when we were in school, we were talking about the union in Aden. But the, if people, and I said this clearly in a sentence, and the video is there, I said, if you want to search for those who are actual secessionists, in Fisaliyid, go look for them in the government that has messed up the union, the government of Anibal Salah. That is where the secession minister. So I agree with you. There was mismanagement of the whole issue, not just the South, but all of Yemen. Yeah, the, the, the yeah, corruption was happening. From the beginning. The corruption, the robbing of the state was happening not because somebody was from the South or the North. The corruption was happening because people were corrupt. Yeah. Robber, thieves steal not because they are from the South or the North. They steal because they are thieves. Okay? Yeah. And whatever corruption that affected the South affected the North. We have to consider that. And what is happening today is no different from what happened at that time. This is the reality. Right, Ustad. And we discussed... We discussed... Uh, the ongoing corruption uh, within the GOI, within the government, <clears throat> the CBY, uh, with our friend Labib uh, Nasher a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, where, you know, the problem here is there is no international attention to that. The corruption is just taken as a fact, you know, as a thing that happens in Yemen. So we got to deal with it. Uh, when international bodies try to deal with that, issue of corruption, then there is the problem of a mandate, you know, who, who is supposed to be in charge of looking into this? Is it the donors? Is it the, the coalition? Is it the, the European Union, the US, or is it the UN? So I was in the UN panel of experts uh, 2018, 2017, 2018, and one of the main issues was always this fight over you know, mandate. Who has the mandate to investigate this? The UN panel has to stick to investigating Houthis. You know, they are, you know, the focus of 2216. You know, that's where you need to stick it. Uh, so one of the things that, that we can take from your talk, uh, Ustad Munir, is definitely that um, there is an unfinished revolution. You know, as other academics from the Arab world and from the West have focused in coming into the 10th year anniversary of the Arab Spring, that there is an unfinished revolution, whether it's a youth-led revolution, whether it's a revolution against authoritarianism, whether it's a revolution for democracy, you know, that still needs to be defined, in my opinion. Uh, you, you know, and how do you finish it? When we know that this war has armed multiple actors on the ground, has made a lot of people rich. And even if you re reach a peace agreement at the top among the elites, you're still going to have these actors that are well-armed fighting for their own interests. You know, uh, where, where you had the youth from, from 2011 unable to fight for their interests because they didn't pick up the guns, they didn't go against the government. You do have a lot of actors on the ground today that are well-armed, well-funded, that will continue a low-level, low-intensity fight to safeguard their interests long-term, right? How do the yes. youth then, you know, once there's a peace agreement, hopefully we, we want it as soon as possible among the elites. 
but how do you then end that low intensity conflict that makes room for the youth to come in and advance their own interests? Uh, I think as long as there is one of the problems we have in the Arab world is that there is a lot of money. If we were poor, this revolution would have succeeded. If the whole Arab world was poor. And there is a part of the Arab world that is loaded with cash. And the fear that any success, successful Arab revolution in Egypt or in Yemen or in Tunisia, or Tunisia is a, is a somewhat success story, in Libya, and if, we, if this revolution ends up to become uh, a political process that are transparent and accountable, this will infect their own societies. And that is the, that is, that is the, the, the foundation of their position. That is the reason why they went against this, because they are afraid that it will happen in their own societies. Now, how do you how do you ensure that if tomorrow there is a, a restart of the revolution, the same forces that are still loaded with cash will not do exactly the same again? This will continue until the two sides are either balanced in their power or whether powerful or weak, but they're balanced in their power. All alternatively. Maybe the revolution should not start from the from uh, the military republics where it started. It should start from the monarchies. Right. That's that's a big question. That you know we we can definitely examine all of this in 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 upcoming episodes. We really want to thank you for your time, Ustad uh, Munir. Uh, it's always Welcome. a pleasure talking to you. You you definitely bring a, a different perspective. An insight and, and new things to discuss, uh, for sure. Thank you. We really thank, thank you. you. We really, really thank you for your time. And Welcome. We, I, we will post uh, some of uh, Ustad Munir's comments from Facebook as well. He's very active on, on, on Facebook. Uh, and, and, and we'll make sure we, we share some of this stuff so people can, can stay up to date with, with your views. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys. Thank Have you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have Bye. a good day. Have a good Bye. evening. Bye. And now we, we, we move to our friend Nasser, who's been waiting. Thank you, Nasser. Can I press end? Yes, yes, Ustad. Uh, Nasser, how are you? Can you hear me? Nasser. Seems Nasser. Doesn't hear. I think the issue is on his side. He was having some internet problems earlier. Uh, we need to uh, see what's going on. But it, it was an interesting uh, conversation with with Ustad Munir, trying to send a message to Nasser. Yes, yes, try to chat with him, see what's going on.
Give me a second. Um, we're trying. Hello, Ustad Nasser. Marhalak. How are you? How are you? Good, good. Now, with that, now that we've gone through these uh, technical difficulties, thank you very much. Alhamdulillah, it's okay. Okay. Thank you. I don't know if you know Nasser. I don't know if you know Mr. Ali Mahmoud in Aden. Yes, I, I heard about him. Yes, I heard about him. He's an activist. And very welcome, very very welcome, Mr. Nasser. I'm I'm so pleased to join you today with my dearest friend Fernando. Thank you very much, Mr. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, despite all these difficulties, I know that the internet is not surfing well in Sana'a. Yes, you're right. And uh, if I had I known that uh, this is the Zoom, we would have tested it uh, in advance, but I, I didn't know. Anyway, uh, it's okay now. Thank you, Star. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, allow me to introduce Mr. Nasser a, a little bit. I, I think most of our viewers should know who Nasser al-Rabi is. <laughs> Great journalist uh, based in Sana'a. Uh, we've known each other for quite a while, Nasser. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, Barry, I'm always yeah. learning from, from our friend Nasser. You're Yemeni, you're Yemeni, you're almost Yemeni, of course. Nus, 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 nus. <laughs> uh, nus, nus, uh. <laughs> But uh, I've really enjoyed our conversations. Uh, I've met so many people through you at our couches, at your house, uh, everywhere else. And you're very active on Twitter, very active on uh, Facebook as well. We appreciate the insight you provide into what's going on in Sana'a, into the different uh, views from Sana'a and your, your views on the war itself. You know, very insightful. We really thank you for for all that you do on on social media. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. So to start, uh, Nasser, I'd like to uh, talk to you about a couple of things. Uh, with you being in in Sanaa, we want to understand. We 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 like you to to help us understand how ordinary Yemenis, how the ordinary people in Sanaa see the situation today what what is what are they experiencing what what are their opinions on the current situation well, they are fed up in fact the ordinary people are fed up they are fed up it's it's been six years now uh, for this uh, dirty war and, uh, the normal people the ordinary people are very very fed up and sick and tired of it of it all uh, i'll be not honest if i say something else are very fed up, and they want this war to be to be over. They want this war to 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 go to go away. Ali, if you yeah, very welcome, uh, dear Nasser. I'm so happy to join you today. The question, as you said, everybody is fed up with this war, six years long war, all over the country. What's the solution from your perspective in Sarah? How? How do you see the, the solution for it? We can say we are fed up, but how we can solve it from your perspective? It's very difficult. It's hard to say. But, uh, because they, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, the ordinary people, how, how, do, how do you see, I mean, uh, well, how we can solve it? 
Yes, very good. I see the solution in in uh, in giving them their salaries, their food, their medicine, their fuel, and their basic life, their life-saving thing. This is this is what they want. They don't want more. Yeah. They don't want so this is the but it's uh, it's always uh, it's always easier said than done. Um, so they don't know how it could be done, how it could be uh, solved because it's not easy. But this is what they want. The ordinary people want only these things. They want life. They they want their life to be normal. They want a life to be to 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 uh, to return to normal. This is what they want, um, but they don't know how, and we can't even help uh, how to do it and how to, to, to because it's very complicated now. It's not uh, national. It's not. It's not even regional. It's international now. So uh, it's not. Uh, it's, I can't even now blame uh, one party uh, to this conflict because there are many parties, and you can't blame one. And believe the other. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, this is why it's difficult and why it's hard to say what the solution. Is. That the solution is not in the hands of the, the Yemenis anymore. You mean this? Yes, yes. It is not. It is not in their in their hands because Yemenis are divided. Yemenis are split. Um, uh, a group is uh, with that. Outside Yemen, and and the other group is with that. Um, I mean, uh, with them, say with Saudi Arabia, with Iran, with the United States, with Qatar, with the Turkey, with all these people. Uh, all these big uh, guys are involved, and um, uh, it's in the hand of those people. I can say that the the, the the one who has it more, the one who has it more now is Saudi Arabia. But it's, I've been saying this all along, and it doesn't work. Right, right, right. Thank you, Nasser. And, and, and that's one of the issues that, that is, has been picking up steam lately, discussions on how Yemeni society, how Yemenis are split. You know, you still have one country, there's still one Republic of Yemen, but de facto, I mean, on the ground, we, we can say that there are more than two Yemens. We, we can't even talk of two Yemens. We can't talk about North and South. We, we can talk about, you know, Tehama. We can talk about Taiz. We can talk about, you know, the Southwest, Lahaj Aden, Abiyan, and then Hadramaut in Mahra uh, on the other side, uh, and then Salah, Amran. So the people, you know, they're gravitating toward one center of power or another. Uh, at the top, among the elite, but even on the ground, we we see the the surfacing of new local leaders that are well armed, well funded, you know, that are completely decentralizing the the war itself, right? Whether it's because of economics or political ambition. Exactly, exactly. This is the problem. The problem is this: the difficult um, the. Uh, you know the, the loyalties, different loyalties um, to different uh, to different uh, countries outside Yemen, and uh, for different reasons and for different also ideology. So it's uh, it's complicated. But when we say this, it doesn't mean that there is no solution. Because 
there is solution and there can be solution if there is a good intention from the big guys. And I mean by the big guys, you is on Saudi Arabia. Is this the way that you think that perhaps uh, the the talks, the, the peace process should go first to talks with the regional actors, with the international community, and then among Yemeni actors? Or do you think that still the traditional uh, process of, you know, an inclusive dialogue among uh, Yemeni actors should be the first step? No, the first step should be with the big guys. The first step should be with the United States and Saudi Arabia and maybe Iran, maybe the third, the third uh, step in Iran. The Saudi Arabia and the United States can do it and solve it easily if they want. This is how I see it and how I have been seeing it all along. Do you think, do you think that I, I've pushed the idea since November, since after the election, here in the U.S., I push the idea that if the pre if President Biden, the new president in the U.S., really wants to move along, wants the peace process to move forward, that he should appoint a special envoy to the conflict in Yemen, uh, because then the U.S. would have, you know, this the hands on the big guys, as you call them. You know, they would be able to bring Saudi Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, and Iran to the table and begin de-escalating that political conflict among them in order to then focus on, on the Yemeni conflict? I think this, this would work. This would work much better than before for one reason. Uh, Biden is not biased as Trump was uh, with Mohammed bin Salman. Um, and if he does this, if he does what you're saying now, it would be good because um, uh, everybody knows that he's not. Um, he wants to end the war in Yemen, and he knows that it's um, it's bad for Yemen, for Saudi Arabia, for the region, for the world. So uh, if he does something like this, I think it would be would be much much better. Yes. Yeah, uh, one of the things that. Uh Ali and I have been discussing is the, the listing uh, of Ansar Allah by the former U.S. administration, by the Trump administration, uh, listing them as a foreign terrorist organization. How has that been received uh, in Sana'a? Uh, well, it depends on who you are asking. Um, um, but, uh, you know, people who don't like Hosi say it's okay. People who like Hosi it's nothing. And it's really nothing. Because uh, it's really nothing. Because what does it mean at the end of the day? It means you stop, uh, you stop the, if there are assets, if there is money, if they're traveling, you stop from traveling. They will not travel. They don't have money. They don't have bank. So it means nothing to them. But it could mean a lot to the many people. Could mean a lot, and it means a lot. And Nasser, one of the main things that we've been discussing uh, since our first episode, our first interview with Ustad Hala Yemeni is my question uh, to Yemenis is who is Ansar Allah? How do we define this entity that the U.S. has sanctioned? Who is Ansar Allah? Well, uh, uh, they say they 
You mean uh, how they define them? How Jews defines them? No. How does how does how does Yemen? How should we define the Ansar Allah? How you, you know, how, do, how does Sanaat? They are the leading mo movement. They are the leading the leaders of those Yemenis. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, three quarters, more than three quarters of the population are under them. Uh, so the vast majority, the vast majority of Yemen is under them, whether they like it or not. Um, and they are the, 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 the leaders of this government they formed here in Sana'a. And um, uh, so they are not easy things. They, they are a big thing here in, in Yemen. And uh, uh, I think uh, um, uh, everywhere, the, the spokesman of the, of the uh, US, uh, um, the State uh, Department yesterday called them as Ansar Allah, not as Houthi or as terrorists or as, some, as Ansar Allah. And this is something that was remarkable and notable to me. Uh, just yesterday. So they know that uh, they are big and they have uh, uh, a functioning government and they can do a lot and they can, you can talk to them and you can make something with them. Um, uh, contrary to the, to the, to the Saudi-backed government, who are very divided, uh, you can talk to them easily because you need to talk to uh, Qatar, to, to Turkey, to Saudi Arabia, to many, many other outside country. Right, right. Ali? Uh, Nasser, Nasser, yes. you are saying that the, 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 question, the question that I want to ask you, is everybody in Northern Yemen belongs to Ansar Allah or is no, I'm, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm saying I'm not saying come. But 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 I I mean is I mean this this faction was this this identity accepted by the whole population in northern Yemen. Uh, they uh, by the majority, by the majority, especially the young people, the new generation. Yes, they are accepted, but there are people who are not accepting them, and who are also parties and groups and types who are known and who are under them. This is what I mean. Yeah. Okay. So. Regarding the, the, I mean, uh, the U.S. sanctions and uh, the designation of uh, the, the Ansar Allah as a terror organization, how do you see the, the, the role of the special employee of the U.N. to Yemen in, in the north? How do you see his role? Do you, do you still see that he's playing a major role in solving the problem and in, in reviving the peace process? In no, he's... What he's doing is keeping things as they are. We can't move forward. We can't bring people uh, together. We can't um, uh, unite uh, the people. Uh, 
So what he can do is to to uh, to uh, to hold the stick from the middle and uh, to talk uh, diplomatically uh, and to talk about progress that is not made uh, and will never be made uh, if circumstances continue like this. So I think he's just a diplomat who wants to keep uh, working and to keep trying. Um, uh, but I, I can't see anything uh, being uh, being uh, being made or any progress being made. Also, okay, okay, um, dear Nasser. Uh, regarding the situation as a journalist, I am a journalist and I try to report from Sana'a, from uh, the provinces held by Ansarullah in North Yemen. But unfortunately, the it's very hard to reach, I mean, to, to, to grab the voices of the ordinary people. The, the question that, that I want to I wanna pose to you is, how is the situation there in Sana'a and the, the provinces in, uh, under control of Ansarullah? I yes, mean, as, 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 as a journalist, not, not from, from, I mean, uh, the perspective that you are supporting Ansarullah or not. Yes, right, Just, you're right. Yeah. 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 How is the situation? Tell me, how is the situation there? Humanitarian? Yeah. Humanitarian? I'm, asking, I'm asking about the ordinary people. I mean, yes. the residents. The ordinary people, it's very bad. Very bad. And nobody can deny. Very bad. Uh, very desperate. And um, um, you know, people are dying. And, uh, because uh, they start, and this start is uh, because of the situation, and sometimes it is uh, it is made. This is, I mean, they are being stabbed, not only stabbing by by um, by drought or by by any uh, natural catastrophe, but by this war. So they are dying of hunger. And then this is something that can't be denied by anyone at all. You are you you. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I mean, uh, Nasser, don't you see that the the authorities controlling Sana'a, especially in Sana'a, I'm talking about Sana'a because it's, it's far reached. I can't, I can't get. I mean, get uh, the poison can get can get out from from the bottom of the society there. Uh, don't you see the, the the authorities controlling the city now as a playing a part of the oppression and of the deprivation that the people suffering there because in the last in the last couple of weeks we are we we are i mean following and we are reading where uh, we have received lots of uh, messages lots of, lots of testimonies that complaining of big oppression uh, a lot of suffering because of the controlling security authorities Many stories, many reports, many reported that uh, the security authorities have been oppressing the people, have been uh, raiding uh, shops, have been uh, uh, closing many shops, have been detaining many, uh, I mean, uh, those ordinary people who are trying to make a living. Uh, thank you very much, Sister Ali, for this question. It's very good. Um, but this is regulation. This is regulation. They are right or wrong. There is something. Those people, 
this government, this government, government under war. So they are taking regulations. They are taking regulations uh, for security because they know that they are that their enemies, Saudi Arabia and others, want to penetrate them from security way, from uh, from humanitarian side, from any side. So they are doing this. I'm not saying that they are right or wrong, but I'm saying they are under war. So it's natural to see something like this. I don't like these things at all. I don't agree with these things at all. But those people who are doing this is under under war. You know, if you tweet in the United Arab Emirates, you can be bought in prison for 15 years. And they are not under war like Yemen. But, but I mean, uh, uh, dear friend Nasser, you are living like a war condition and people are suffering too much. And when you come to close, I mean, those ordinary people shops or the places where they are making making a living from, you, you, you make the situation more aggravated. You make the situation worse. So why don't, I mean, uh, why... These authorities are handling with such, I mean, restrictions, with that, with such steps and such uh, difficult or hard, hardship. I am under these things. I am not, in, as you said, I am, I am also suffering from some of these things. Uh, it, it's, I'm one of those people who are talking about, uh, not necessarily security, uh, but uh, the other things like commercial or humanitarian or anything, or uh, moving from city to city. Yes, we are suffering. All of us are suffering. But as I told you, it's because we are under war. Because it's you know it's it's uh, people are under uh, the blockade for six years, and this blockade is weaponized. This blockade is used as a weapon to bring those people. Houthi and their people, Houthi and all other people uh, to their knees. So it's a, it, they are weaponizing the food, weaponizing the water, weaponizing the fuel. Everything we need, Saudi Arabia is weaponizing it. Right. Well, that's what, I mean, we, we definitely want to see, you know, we saw a video from, uh, by Abdul Malik al Houthi last week. Uh, where he addressed the the issue of corruption among supervisors, the mushrafin, and things like this. So we definitely like to get your opinion on on this uh, video and why he uh, Abdul Malik thought that it was you know appropriate for him to come out at this time. And then after the video came out, then we saw this document uh, from authorities in Sanaa about closing you know closing uh, clothing shops. If they use mannequins, female mannequins, you know, if we've seen we we've seen videos uh, of, of Houthi militia in Sanaa and other areas in the north going into shops that sell women's clothing, you know, burk, uh, burkas, niqabs, hijabs, baltus, and, and and beat up shop owners, you, you you know, and is this? I mean, is this part of what Abdul Malik was addressing in that video or? Is this something else that we see in Sana? This is something that is being done by extremists from uh, Houthi people. And there is no movement in the world that has no extremists 
at all. Houthi movement is like any movement that has people who do not understand what uh, civil liberties are and what freedom is. So this is what they are doing. And they are harming themselves more than doing good for themselves. Nasser, why you don't raise your forces up so they stop doing such things against the, the, the ordinary people? You are journalists. And why you don't raise your forces and protect those people who, who, who are who, who are oppressed, who are, I mean, I mean, suffering and... Yeah. We, are doing, we are doing what we can and we are telling them, uh, uh, we are speaking up to them directly and we are speaking like I am speaking now, uh, and we are telling them directly when we meet them uh, that this is something that is harming you, doing harm more than doing good. We are telling them directly to them, uh, whether seniors or uh, juniors. We are telling them and we keep trying and pushing and digging until they understand that this is something that is bad. This is something that Saudi Arabia, which is the worst in the, in the region, is trying to get rid of. So you, Nasser, you, you are very close to a lot of people working for the UN. You know, a lot, you're, you've always been close to UN uh, agencies uh, there in Sana'a. When we look at the humanitarian situation moving forward after the FTO listing, what do you see as the main obstacles to, to the work by UN agencies and NGOs working in northern Yemen? What, what, are, what are the, 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 the obstacles now? What, what's expected? What, what's the talk in, in Sana'a about this? Well, the, 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 the big problem now is, um, is that they have they reduced the, the rations to uh, to uh, 50% to half, and they are going from next month, they are going to reduce it to quarter, which means 25%. Uh, and this will make a, a big problem. This will make a big, big problem. In addition, of course, to the corruption. There is corruption everywhere. There is um, uh, diverting. They are diverting the, the, the food and the, the, the aid. Uh, taking it to uh, people who don't need it most, and uh, which, of course, which is very big problem. They, this food, this aid must go to people who need, who need it most. And um, this is not easy to say who needs it most, but it's uh, it's easy because um, there are people dying. We, uh, you you can start with the people who can't find anything to eat in their houses. It's easy to say, let's start with this. Let's start with this. Uh, uh, um, uh, regardless of uh, who, is, who he or she is belong to. If you say he's healthy or he's, he's loyal to healthy, but I'm not going to feed him or I'm not going to feed her, so you're wrong. And if you're saying he's, uh, he's under Hadi or he's loyal to Hadi or he's loyal to whatever he is or she is, you're wrong. So this is, this is I think, the things that they should, this is the thing that should be removed from the right. humanitarian. Right. We, we also see this 
increasing PR campaign that's more and more obvious on social media from Houthis coming from Damar. You know, since uh, Bukhaiti became governor of Damar, or right up leading up to the time when Bukhaiti became governor of Damar, we saw this PR campaign online uh, showing the, the, the work in agriculture in Damar in specifically. You, you know, what, what is, are, is Damar really producing um, increasing amounts of foods or is this just a PR campaign? Just a no, PR it's, it's a PR, you know, because it's a, it's a PR, but Bukhaiti uh, is doing his best and he's good, he's, he's admired, he's liked by a lot of people and he's, uh, he's competent. He has skills, he has uh, capabilities, and he can do a lot of things. But at the end of the day, it's, um, it's about the resources. It's about the resources, the national resources. There is no enough resources. The resources are, not, are very limited everywhere, in the Mar or in Sana'a, in Tres, everywhere. And the resources are limited. People are without salaries, let alone the other things. Big, big question. Uh... Nasser, and I know that, that my friend Ali would also like to hear your opinion on this because he was there on 30 December, you know, the attack on, on Aden Airport. Um, the government came out last week. We, we are recording a little bit after the, the Biden administration took office. So before, I believe it was 14 January, that the Yemeni government, uh, President Hadi's government announced the findings of the investigation saying that everything pointed to Houthis uh, being behind this. What, what is your, your opinion? What, what, what is your view on this incident? Are you there, Nasser? Can you hear us? I think, Nasser, I think the internet... The Nasser's place went out again, so we're we got cut off. But we have to call it a a day, Ali. Yeah. Uh, we definitely had interesting conversations and hearing interesting things from both Nasser and Mr. Munir uh, Said. And this is a conversation that we're going to have to continue. This is something that we're going to have to keep talking about and bringing more and more guests. We hope that we can bring Nasser back uh, to keep discussing with us the situation in the North. Uh, we definitely want to hear more from him about uh, clashes, you, you, you know, between Houthis and the government, whether it's in Marib or Hodeida, for example, or Taiz. Again, they're escalating yeah. once again. Adalah now. You know, we have this direct conflict between Houthis and, and, and Southern forces, not just the government. And we, we really would want to hear uh, more about what Nasser sees in Sana'a regarding the peace process. You know, who, who are the doves in Sana'a? Who are the ones that are once again reaching out to, 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 to ending the, the, the war? Uh, wanting peace, wanting to move forward with the peace process. Uh, is, is there any prospects? Is there anyone in Sanaa that really wants to push to to end this war? Or is it a view from Sanaa that only a military victory somehow is going to lead 
to an end of the war. You, you know, whether it's whether it's encircling Madhav itself and threatening, you know, the the main outpost for for the government, threatening the lifeline in Yemen, which is this oil facilities, uh, is that eventually going to be used as leverage to to finally, you know, sit at the table and start talking? And is it going to be too late at that moment, uh, you, you, you know, with the suffering now of, of another Yemeni city? So any closing uh, thoughts from your end, Ali? Uh, Fernando, uh, I enjoyed, I mean, the, the whole discussion with both. Uh, our guest has uh, honored us um, joining us in this comprehensive discussion. Uh, either Munir or Master um, Rabi'i. And uh, as you said, we are looking for, I mean, uh, bigger conversation, especially with Nasr Rabi'i because he is based in Sana'a and we want to uh, hear more from him about the different, uh, uh, I mean, directions. And uh, he is a core source where we can, I mean, get a lot from him. I hope uh, we can uh, host him another time. Absolutely. Because he is important. Yeah, and we hope and to bring more people. Yeah, we hope to bring more people from yeah, Sanaa. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. We, need, we, we, we need more insight into what's going on in Sanaa. More, uh, we want to bring some of those uh, great activists working in Hodeida, for example, working in Hajja. Uh, Yemeni. Also, 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 Fernando, uh, I'm I'm really really uh, interested in picking up some people from Shabwa. Yep. Shabwa is a lot of things uh, going on. A lot, a big boss uh, taking the, uh, the the limelight there. Uh, yesterday, the governor just left to Saudi Arabia, and uh, people are talking that he's gonna be replaced by by a new governor. So yesterday, yesterday, as in uh, January twenty second, yeah, the Friday. So, 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 uh, uh, I will try to find if if we can hold somebody from there to give us some, uh, I mean, some lines from there and see what's going on behind the scene there. Excellent, excellent. We have tons of stuff to discuss. You know, like we said in our introductory uh, episode, and then again uh, in the first episode. There is a lot of information uh, on Yemen also, coming out. Also, we want, we want someone from the government to, to, to tell us what's going on. But people here in Aden are expecting that much and much from them, and no, nothing has been done so Definitely. far. I'm working I on that. We're going to work on. We're going to work on bringing a, a government official. Uh, hopefully, uh, this person can uh, get some uh, get authorized, get some approval. To, to join us and to speak uh, for the governor, the government soon. You know, we really want to bring that. Yeah. Otherwise, I will send you the, the, the phone number of the Minister of Information. Uh, you can force him himself to, to join us. <laughs> right, right, right. I know Mr. Muhammad Al-Iriyan. He, 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 he would be ready to, to speak with us, definitely. Okay. Ali, thank you very much again for, for joining us, for, for joining me. Uh, from Aden for for going out of your way and trying to find a a, a spot to join me in, in in this conversation, it's important that that we have that interaction, you know, with between Yemenis and to 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 have uh, Yemenis ask questions and, and and to have Yemenis respond to to Yemenis. This is 
something important that, that, that we want to highlight here. You know, this is more about you, yeah. you more about Yemenis talking to each other than about me, you yes, know, wanting to, yes, to talk. Yes, and we're still working on hopefully bringing on board another um, a co-host from from the north. You know, we, we really need somebody from the north that, that can add to these conversations. Absolutely true, Fernando. Thank you so much for such opportunity. It's very, really a big opportunity for us, either in, in the north or in the south. Excellent. Uh, equally, yeah. And uh, we, I am myself. I am very enthusiastic to to keep to keep up the hard work and just this this uh, smart ideas, uh, mounting bigger and bigger. For sure, for sure. So thank you, thank you very much, everyone. Uh, please don't forget we have a Facebook page now. Uh, follow up in, on, on Twitter. Ali has been reporting on Shabwa and other incidents uh, on his Twitter account. I myself have been sharing other stuff, uh, mostly regarding the, the U.S. approach as well. And we will keep you posted. And uh, please leave us a, a comment. You need some clarification. You have ideas of for some interviews, let us know. And, and we're working uh, on, on better stuff. We're going to work on some cultural uh, on some episodes focusing on Yemeni culture as well, music, arts, filmmaking again, uh, to follow up on the interview with Amar Basha. So thank you very much, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We'll be in touch. See you next episode. Thank you, Ali. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.